Well, the church is not a building. We've said and sung that often enough. Surely we know that that's right. But vocabulary is a problem, isn't it? The fact that for years and years and years and years we have used the word church with reference to buildings. When the um, planning process, president planning process, I mentioned last Sunday and how in East Bride it's likely to take us from nine congregations down to six and how there's to be across the Church of Scotland a drop of almost 40% in charges. When that comes to the bit, we will hear a lot from congregations about their buildings as if that was the church. But the church is not a building. Clearly that's the teaching of the New Testament. Um, when the letters were written, for example, the letters in of Thessalonians, we read from 1 Thessalonians um, just over the page or across the pages, um, the Second Thessalonians, and the ch- verse 1 of both books, the apostle says, to the church of the Thessalonians. He's writing to a church in Thessalonica, but he's writing to a church in Thessalonica who at that time, at that stage, didn't have their own building. Um, And he's writing to them, and they certainly wouldn't have had a building that looked anything like what people expect churches to look like now. But nevertheless, he writes to the church of the Thessalonians. And so that is repeated time and again. For example, when the risen and ascended Jesus addresses the seven churches in Asia in verses, sorry, in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, it speaks to the church in Laodicea, the church in Smyrna, the church in Ephesus. Ephesus, they don't have buildings. And yet Jesus speaks to the church. The church is people, isn't it? But more than that, it's the people who are followers of Jesus. More than that, it's the people who are followers of Jesus who are together in relationship, a community. It was the quality of loving relationships among his people that would mark them out as Jesus' followers. So in John 13, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus' followers are people who themselves are in relationship with God through Jesus, who are a loving community, and who are Jesus' representatives or ambassadors in the world. So we relate up to God, we relate in with one another and out to the world. And all three, and we're saying this last week, are part and parcel of being church. And that's reflected in our kind of motto of living the Lord's way, loving the Lord's people, and sharing the Lord's message. And each of the three are vital. So, can you have a church that doesn't have a building? Yes. There are many churches that don't have a building. Not just the ones 2,000 years ago almost who hadn't quite got around to doing it yet. There are many churches today across the world that don't have a building. Some are meeting in rented spaces, some in better climates than ours or warmer climates than ours or meeting outside, gathered around a tree or whatever. 
in the history of Scotland and the church when um, the Covenanters were being persecuted and when they met it around the tree in Dale Park and other places around the country. That was the church gathering. Did they have a building? No. You can be a church and not have a building. Can you have a church without a minister? Yes. Many have done and many still do. Can you have a church without people in it? No. Because the church is people. You cannot have a church without followers of Jesus. You cannot have a church without people who know God, who love one another as Jesus loves, and who serves the world in Jesus' name. Now, last Sunday, um, beginning this series, we're looking at how we are to be engaged with God, how we are to be a living relationship with the living God. It's more than knowing about God. It's more than just believing that he is there, but the call of the gospel, the privilege of the gospel, is that we know him, that he lives with and among us. Again, the verses in Ephesians with which it began the service, that the people of God are being built up into being a temple for the presence of the living God. And equally clear in the New Testament is the instructions, commands about living, loving the Lord's people. The New Testament, for example, says to us, Romans 12, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. What does devoted mean? It's not, it's not anything casual, is it? Devote, devoted to one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to each other, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you in Ephesians. Encourage one another daily, Hebrews 3. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Serve one another humbly in love. Now these, please note, are commands. Serve, carry, encourage, be kind and compassionate, be devoted. They're, they're not suggestions. They're not, here's a few tips for having a, a handy, a better life. You don't find them on the self-help sections in, in the bookshops. They're commands and commands from God. And notice they are commands for all of God's people. Because these letters, Romans and Ephesians and Galatians and, and so on, these ones, they were written to the whole people of God. They weren't letters that were written to the ministers. They weren't letters that were written to um, bishops or to monks or, or, or elders. Or, they were written to the whole church. And to the whole church... They say things like, encourage one another daily, be devoted, and so on. Now, we could, as these texts suggest, and there are many others, there's about 60, more than 60 one another commands in the New Testament. We could look at any number of passages. And 1 Thessalonians 5, the passage that Morag read earlier, is just one of these. Now, when we read 1 Thessalonians, and when we get to chapter 5, and the passage that Morag read, we by this time have picked up that there are huge challenges in being the church. 
The difference that being a follower of Jesus meant for the Thessalonians was a difference between light and darkness, he says in these verses. They are two very different ways of living, two very different reasons for living. Paul describes it as living as children of light in a dark age, verses 4 and 5. That is, he's saying, here you are in the middle of the world's night, but the Spirit of Jesus within you is telling you that it's already daytime and more daylight is coming. You are already children of the day. God's new world has broken in upon the sad, sleepy, drunken, deadly old world. And that is the impact of Jesus' resurrection and the gift of the Holy Spirit. You've got this new life. But it's not going to be an easy task to follow Jesus in the world. Jesus himself said that to us. It's not easy to identify what are the clashes in values between what goes on in wider society and what's what's taught to us in the New Testament. It's not easy when following Jesus means going against the flow. And we cannot do it if we're on our own. We have to be, if we are faithful to Jesus' calling, we are to live out that gospel value as people of light in a world of darkness. And so we need the help to carry each other's burdens, to serve one another humbly in love and so so on. Even our hymnody reflects that. Chosen to be soldiers in an alien land. Chosen, called, and faithful for our captain's band. From who is on the Lord's side, which we'll sing later in the service. What is the alien land? Is that a hymn that's saying you're you're chosen to be um, Jesus' people if you go to Mongolia, or if you go to um, Sudan, or if you go to... No, it's simply being in the world means that we're in an alien land. We're in a land, a context where the values of the world are not necessarily those of Jesus. What have we thought about on occasions when you have sung these words? What does it mean to be in Jesus' band? It's not a reference to them. The hymn writer doesn't mean that we all have to play musical instruments. He's saying part of Jesus' people, part of Jesus' congregation, part of Jesus' church. And we cannot do that functioning on our own. In the passage in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul uses some of the um, illustrations of soldiers and armor, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet, verse 8. But even as he's using that illustration, he's, he's making a point again about the togetherness, the community of Christian faith, because Armies are people who are working together, a common enemy, a common plan, and and an army that doesn't support one another, an army that's not devoted to one another, an army that's not encouraging one another, an army that's not serving one another is an army that's losing. Folk often compare the 21st century church to what we knew in the 20th century. It's natural enough. 
That was our experience. But our experience, we should recognize, is very, very limited. Following Jesus today in a post-Christian society is not so much like what it was 50, 60, 70 years ago. It's actually much more like what it was in first century Thessalonica. It's a quite obviously going against the flow. It's a quite obviously becoming more aware of the standards around us being very different from Jesus' way. And the church grew in that situation. It didn't fizzle out. It didn't need a favorable wind to sail, sail through life. And the rest of the world around us is not going to start saying, gosh, we miss the days of big Sunday schools. The community around us is not going to say, we, we miss the time when they were saying prayers in schools. They're not going to say, no, we missed the time when we could look out the window if, if we weren't part of it and see streams of folks heading down the road to go not to DIY shops, but to go to church. Oh, we missed that. The world's not going to say that. And our task then is to live the Lord's way, to love the Lord's people and share the Lord's message in an alien land. That is to show the worth of following Jesus to a world whose starting point is that Jesus doesn't matter. So therefore, we have to work at it. Verse 11 Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. As part of the living as children of light in a dark world, we are to encourage one another and build each other up, verse 11. There's a mutual participation there. And so the task of the church is not the task of professional ministers or only for church leaders, but as a task for all of God's people to share. That's who the letter was written to, to the church of the Thessalonians. All of the people of God gathered together. You guys who gathered wherever you gathered because you didn't have your own building. Therefore, to you guys we say, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. And the encouragement and the building up is required because it's not a straightforward or an easy task to live in a countercultural way. It's much easier to go with the flow. And it's because of the futility of being an army whose soldiers or members keep themselves to themselves that Paul gives instructions like encourage one another and build each other up. Now, to know that, to do that, we need to know others. We need to share with others. Not simply in polite terms or in general, how's it going terms, but in working out how does this gospel work? How does it apply to us as we live in an alien land? What does it call us to be and be like, and what does it call us to do? And to have just a larger gathering where most of the participations from the front of the room cannot, 
cannot, not does not, but cannot fulfill the New Testament picture of church. It's not that we could do it better from here. I'm, I'm sure we could. It's not that we could get a few, you know, you know, more different ways and different attractive things or whatever. No, none of that necessarily takes us to what is meant by loving the Lord's people, taking that mutual involvement and commitment, because that requires a level of sharing, openness, and ministry to others that we cannot do simply by turning up to something in larger numbers and then going away. Nor is it done if we other times get together but never raise what it means to follow Jesus. If we get together but never ask one another how we are getting on and living the Lord's way. If we never challenge and encourage one another. And if anyone asks, can we not simply be a member of Jesus' church, be a Christian without being part of Jesus' army? No. Jesus didn't leave us with that option. Now, part of the difficulty of getting away from the wrong notion that the church is the building, as I say, is years and years and years of bad vocabulary, of miscalling it, of calling the church and referring to the building. It's years and years, too, of putting the thing, the building, or the institution, or the organization before what the New Testament calls church, which is the movement of Jesus' disciples in the world. And similarly, we have to battle against years of malpractice in the church, thinking that the larger gathering, that with its minimal contact with one another, is enough. Years and years of mistakenly thinking that ministry belongs to a few, some set-apart people, and the rest of us are to support them in that, but not do the ministry itself. Even the way we have to set the, the room out with rows of, of people are not, it doesn't emphasize the mutual encouragement, the mutual need. And even where congregational life has brought folks together, it's been often in a context that has little focus on discipleship or sharing Christ's mission in the world. Even, I think, the way that in the past we organized congregational life through elders' districts has fallen short in this matter. Oh yes, an elder might go and visit eight, ten people in the one or two streets, but that does absolutely nothing about the connection between those eight or ten people. It's not a, it's not a way of them encouraging one another. It's not a way of them ministering to one another. It's not a way of enabling the fulfilling of all these one another commands, such as the one in verse 11. We can't find in the New Testament any teaching about what our buildings should be like. It doesn't say. But what we do get in the New Testament are indications about how the church is to be and how the church operated. And one key aspect was their coming together as the people of God 
to minister to one another. And what is described here and what is called for here could not possibly have taken place if they only met in a large room with everyone seated in rows. Yes, there's a place for the larger gathering. I'm not saying that there isn't. Yes, there's a place where, for meetings where there's a lot of input and teaching from the front. I'm not saying that there isn't. I'm saying in and of itself and by itself, it's not enough. Because it doesn't facilitate church in all the ways that the New Testament talks about church. It doesn't take steps towards the one another commands that there are throughout the New Testament. How or where do we learn to do these different things? To serve one another, to carry each other's burdens, to encourage one another, to be kind and compassionate to one another, to be devoted to one another. These are only possible where we are engaged with one another on a gospel basis, sharing the work and the ministry of Christ. I've said and spoken and enthused often enough about the value of um, our focus groups when we were able to meet together. Of course, we're not able to do that in the same way in, in COVID times. But we are going to be working at changing and removing the pattern of elders' districts because it doesn't facilitate us doing church. It doesn't. I defy anyone to explain how it helps us be devoted to one another, serve one another, care for one another. It just doesn't do that. It's not set up to do that. It's not that we had bad elders or anything. Just, it, wasn't, it wasn't geared towards doing what the New Testament teaches and describes churches to be like. And so we will work in coming uh, weeks and months, we trust, looking and hoping that we get beyond the restrictions of the current pandemic to encourage folks to be together and come together and meet together to learn to serve one another, care for one another, encourage one another, build one another up, teach one another. For I think it's at our peril if we just ignore what Jesus and his disciples taught. In the meantime, we have still got a couple of gatherings a week for those who have got internet access. We're doing taking it further and talking further about these things because they're important. It's about the existence. It's about the future of the church. It's because we are not willing to simply lie down and give in to saying, the church is decreasing by 40% this year in the current presbytery plan, and hey, in five or six years we'll do another 20%, and in another five or six years we'll do another 30% beyond that. Stuff that. Who, who wants to be part of that? And what we have to come to terms with, I think, is, is 
we have to either say that the gospel is not the gospel for all the world, that Jesus doesn't change light to darkness, that he doesn't transform lives, or there's, there's something about the way that we have been doing church that means it's been less fruitful than it might have been. Well, I don't think Jesus is a a half-saviour. I don't think Jesus is a saviour for when there's a favourable wind. I don't think Jesus was a saviour just for um, particular times and and climates. I think Jesus is the saviour of the world for all the world for all time. And therefore, we have to work what it means to live the Lord's way, to love the Lord's people and share the Lord's message. How do we engage with God, not simply by rituals, but in our own living experience? How do we engage with one another, not simply by smiling across a room, but by building one another up in Christ? Let us pray.